So this is the second part of the Notoriously Episcopalian podcast where we're looking at the question of where the resurrected Jesus is in the world. And this evening I am very happy to be talking to Tommy Watkins Jr., a divinity, third year divinity student? No, second. Second year divinity student um, working on his MDiv at General uh, Seminary in New York. Tommy, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me this evening. I appreciate it. Yes, well, thank you for having me. Um, and I will start off by letting you uh, take a moment or so to kind of introduce yourself, tell us about who you are and what you're doing now. Uh, well, uh, I am, like you said, I'm Tommy Watkins, Jr. I'm a native of uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and I'm a um, midler, so I'm a second-year seminarian here at General Theological Seminary. I'm the... Uh, serve as a community council president, and also uh, most people, I guess, in that role think that I'm a senior, or they'll say to me, oh, you're graduating in a month, and I'm like, where, where am I going? <laughs> but um, but uh, I uh, have worked, uh, background includes like social work, I'm also uh, uh, taught math and then pilot, and um, I've uh, done a doctorate in public health, so... This was kind of uh, God's call finish, uh, to the ministry, and so I'm here in New York, where it's not so warm, but it's slowly becoming spring and warmer. So I sent the the kind of the the general question out to folks about looking at these post-resurrection stories. Um, and where the the resurrected Jesus is in the story and now, and ask folks to kind of pick a story. Um, So can you kind of tell us which post-resurrection appearance story you selected? And, you know, instead of just citing book, chapter, and verse and reading it, I think so much of the the stories and, and the Gospels and throughout the Bible is about how we tell them. So I've kind of asked... Um, folks to to kind of in your own words tell the story that you've selected and kind of set it into context for us before we kind of dive in deeper to it. Okay, well I um, chose to look at the resurrection uh, post-resurrection where uh, Jesus encounters Mary in the garden and as the story goes in the book of John um, Jesus uh, she goes to the tomb and find it uh, empty, and she's in her grief and in her uh, tears, um, and looks in the tomb as at the foot of where Jesus' body uh, was laid, um, but Jesus is not there, and uh, she turns and notices uh, an individual. The reader understands that that's Jesus, but uh, Mary does not know that, so um, she, thinking he's the gardener, asked if if the gardener has taken uh, Christ's body away. Would would the gardener let Mary know, you know, where they have laid it? <laughs> and um, Jesus then calls her name, and the scripture says she turns and calls him teacher or uh, rabbi. Um, and then he, she wants to hold on to him, and he says, "No, don't." hold on to me, but go and tell my disciples that I am risen. And um, I like that uh, story um, for many different reasons, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but I I really enjoyed, uh, it's always um, interesting to me how 
the resurrected Christ appeared and how he interacted with somebody we know that was very dear to him as Mary, who was um, a female, and I think that's very important uh, in the scripture. Well, so the follow-up question to kind of setting the context, which you got um, kind of the most coveted post-resurrection passage. Um, I know uh, Mary Balfour, who um, may talk about the same passage later on, uh, Lindsay Mullen, who did the first episode, this was the passage that she wanted. Um, but you got it, so you're the first one to take it, and it's it's got a lot in it. And so I'm really interested to kind of um, you know hear from you what in particular about this passage said said to you. This is the one that I want to talk about in this context, or what speaks most to you about it. Well, the the, the title you. Uh, um indicated was, where do we find the resurrection? Uh, Jesus appears and acts in ways that uh, defy a lot of our expectations of what a resurrected Christ should be. And I found it very curious that uh, Christ appeared to Mary um, and she did not know who it was. And I think it speaks a lot uh, to us that in the resurrection that it, number one, we find that it's about a process. And many times people think Easter is just the first Sunday of Easter, which we typically call the Resurrection Sunday, and that these other Sundays of Easter are low Sundays or no Sundays, you know, but there's actually 50 days of Easter. And I think that resurrection is about a general unfolding and a continual uh, desire to see the resurrected Christ. And Jesus appeared to her while she was in her grief and while she was struggling and while she was crying. And it it speaks to me that, um, and to the church, that we don't have to be um, different or change to find the post-resurrected Christ. That Jesus breaks into um, her grief and, and through a process, you know, and the Greek verb, you know, the turning, the metanoia, that she didn't recognize him. The Bible says, the scripture says that she turns and sees the man, that's Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. And this was the woman that is was the most close to Christ, but she did not recognize the resurrected Christ. And that, I think, also says to the church is that Jesus will show up and appear unexpectedly in ways that we as the church people, as resurrect pe- people of the resurrection, may not understand or may not and cannot expect. And it wasn't until Jesus called her name and she turns again, and then she um, was able to hear and see Christ for who he was. And I really love that part that sometimes it takes us uh, sitting with our grief, sitting with our own expectations, and Jesus standing patiently there, waiting for us to let go of those expectations, and then to turn from what we expect. You see, she went to the tomb expecting to find Christ in the tomb, but as a person of the resurrected, Jesus was clearly showing that that's not where he would be. And that's not where we will find a resurrected Jesus. We will find Jesus in places 
and in uh, uh, and, and, and ways that we cannot imagine. And the other part of that is that she wanted to, you know, perhaps embrace him or um, handle him, if you will, the same way she did before. And it was clear that this Jesus was um, said that we have to deal with him in a manner different. And I think that's important for us with this story of the resurrection. We must deal with the world and things of the world a lot differently than we did, you know, during Lent or the, you know, before Easter. And, and I think it's important that we also go and share our stories with the rest of the world to show really what it means to have a resurrected Christ or the people of the resurrection. And, and, you know, I just found it profound that the place that she went to see a dead body, she experiences this change in her persona that the other disciples were locked away in fear. And it was her testimony, um, as recorded in the rest of the Gospels and even in the Gospel of John, you know, we heard about the doubting Thomas, that Mary was the one that told them, but they were locked up in fear. And here she is, a woman... <laughs> who's liberated, and who's carrying the message of the resurrection. And I always love this story because it speaks about the economy of the kingdom, that Christ's kingdom is always more and other than our uh, economy. You know, we would have expected, surely it would have been a disciple, probably a man, you know, more authoritative, uh, more privileged and powerful in that community at that time. And here yet again, Jesus Christ in, the, in showing us the kingdom uh, uses somebody who is more subjugated, right, a woman, and that woman particularly who had a reputation to carry the message <laughs> of resurrection. And if that's not good news, I, I don't really know what is. What I, what I think it's really interesting when you're talking about kind of this economy of the kingdom is in that that turning and turning again, we to me, I kind of read it and see that directly because so you know the the gospel writer you know tells us that she's there crying and she hears this person um, saying, you know, why are you weeping? you know they've taken my my Lord away. And she turns and first sees Jesus, and it says, she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus says to her, you know, why are you weeping? And then the next line is, supposing him to be the gardener. So, supposing him to be someone different than, and and most likely lower than herself, she turns around, and in that... You know, she she addresses him, sir, if you've carried me away, tell me where you've lain him. And then once Jesus says the name, she recognizes him. And so, in one sense, I kind of read that as, because, you know, a lot of the, the historicity around Mary is, you know, we, we've put a lot of baggage on Mary Magdalene, but there there is some folks that have kind of postulated that she might, that she could have very likely been a woman of means because she is able to follow Jesus around. And she may, right. been, may have been one of the women that was helping to support the ministry. And one of the things to me that always seemed like gave a little credence to that is that she has this interaction with someone that she believes to be a gardener. While it's polite because she is female, there is certainly something a little bit... Yeah. 
It's, you know, tell me where he is. And in that moment is when Jesus is like, Mary, why don't, you know, I'm right here, pay attention to me. And so we have a female in society who is powerless seeing the resurrected Jesus in someone that is even more powerless than she is. And and then we get this, you know, the, the wonderful story about, you know, go tell them I'm ascending to, to my father. It's it's really interesting to, to bring up the the economy of the kingdom and the power dynamic because it is played out in this little microcosm between Mary and somebody that she thinks is the gardener. Um, right. And and I think it also speaks to uh, the expectation. She's one of the people that were closest to Christ, and she had an expectation of what the resurrected Christ or what Jesus, what all this meant. And many of us that are closest to Christ, Christians, um, have that same expectation, this same um, uh, uh, power. We have this same ideology of what the world should be, what other people should be, and I, I think this resurrection story, you know, Jesus asked, whom are you looking for? And then resurrection, I think a lot of times we miss seeing Christ in other people and in the world is because we come with our own predispositions and our own expectations. And the whole idea here was just thrown on his head that he makes her the first disciple, one of the first disciples, that she goes and says to his, the man that are locked in fear, I have seen the Lord. And I think that's the message of the resurrection is many times our authoritative, our uh, authentic experiences with the resurrected Christ. We don't like to talk about what happened and what changed in us. And it wasn't until she experiences this resurrected Christ that her consciousness was changed. Because the body, you know, the metanoia may not have been a physical turning. I think in the Greek, it it, uh, it describes an inward um, shifting. And it's not really physical. She didn't turn again because she was already facing him. But when he calls her name, something inside her changed. And she was able to see the resurrected Christ in a way that she didn't experience and experience him in a way she didn't experience before. And I really think that's the message of the garden is no matter where we are, we need to um, ask ourselves, what are we really looking for? Where can we find this resurrected Christ? Well, it depends on what are we looking for and how we uh, are open to experience him. And that's kind of the, the next big question out of this, because one way that this question was framed, and I, and I, I think I put it in the original emails, and, and kind of, you know, the a way that, that it was framed by Lauren Winter is all of the, the Easter stories is the tomb is empty and Jesus has gone someplace else. So in John, Jesus is in the garden, um, and, you know, some of the, the other Gospels, Jesus... Um, you know, says, I will meet you someplace else. It's this notion that Jesus has left the tomb and is already on the move. And the disciples are looking for him or are going to meet him or experience him out in the world. And you talked about resurrection as process, and we are people of the resurrection. And the 21st century church has done a lot of conversation about 
where it should be and and uh, anxiety over is the church dying or how do we get folks into the church? Um, there's a lot of kind of discussion about that. So the question kind of becomes, as people of the resurrection, people constantly looking for where the resurrected Christ is, in the 21st century, where should we be looking as as those people of the resurrection for Jesus? Uh, encountering the body of Christ, I think uh, looking for Jesus is the same place as he did. Um, and what is profound to me, get, get back to the uh the, the idea of economy, Jesus never used and ascribed to the power of uh, the, and to society the, the way that we do. You know, we sometimes, and you know, making a church solvent, look for more donors, <laughs> or we look for people to pledge more. Nothing's wrong with that, but I think the message here is it's in the people that we think are the powerless, because here is Christ. He could, he, we wouldn't have, but he chose this particular woman at this particular time to do his message. She became the first disciple of the resurrection that went to his other disciples. And I think that's what we have to look at. It's the same message prior to his death he tells us about is we are to be the ones that, that serve. The greatest of us are to be the servants. And that means children. That means perhaps we as church people need to look at education. We need to look at schools. We need to look at ways that we can help uh, men's society with uh, schools and not be a social service agency, but partner with agencies to look at the leads, the homeless, the uh you know, the hungry, and I mean really do do things in ways to not just feed them, but maybe, you know, teach things like that to really look at, um, to really look at the upbuilding of the kingdom. Because the thing we, we sometimes miss is to make our budgets and our, and our pledge reports, um, we often miss the people who we may find you know, what they can contribute or who they are in the body of Christ. And this is the message, is that we can't judge people. And we must allow Christ to draw people to the church and not look at them in, in, uh, in the same ways that we, just because somebody has uh, how they look on the outside, we can't, we can't fall into that same trap. We have to continually look uh, to people's hearts and ask God to help us, you know, ask God to let us hear uh, and, and that we see. And we have colleagues, a lot of times we pray this, you know, that we want to see God in others. We pray to see Christ in others. But sometimes I think when Christ calls our name, we're not willing to turn as Mary was. So here's kind of my, I guess, my hardball question. Um... So you, you're a midler, so you have one more year of seminary, and presumably at, at some point you will be um, ordained a deacon and eventually a priest. 
and will come into the church as an ordained leader of the church. Um, what is your, and it's kind of a, a strange question, what is your dream for the church that you are about to enter into in this new way as being a clergy person? You know, I, and, I, and just to, to flesh it out, you know, I, being people of the resurrection, part of kind of one thing that I see is that, you know, once Jesus is resurrected, once that that act of love and creation comes to fruition and Jesus is back out into the world with us and then he ultimately will ascend, ultimately ascends, um, we, the people of the resurrection, are left to try to continue to live out this dream of, this dream of God. Like we're sharing in with the dream of God on what a resurrected world looks like. And so, as someone soon to um, spend a lot of time uh, talking about Jesus and the Bible and, and being a clergy person, what is your dream for the the church in the 21st century? Okay, what was the last thing you said? I said, what is your dream for the church in the 21st century? Uh, I think it is the message that she... Mary says is I have seen the Lord and I think it is asking people of the resurrection to reimagine ministry because that's what Mary did when she went to her, the disciples and said we've seen the Lord and they're like well no that can't happen that we know he said that we, we just can't really fathom that and it took them a while to conceive and really adhere and understand to a resurrected Christ I mean, that means that we no longer can think and do and act the way that we did before. And so my dream would be that the church would begin to look at ways to uh, make itself hospitable to all of God's children. And that means we begin to do this hard work of listening um, around stuff, around racism, around homophobia, around uh, classism and uh, reimagine ways of equality and that we start to really make the king and, and that we look at CERN as our um, main priority. I think that is a wonderful dream for the church and probably a very good note to end on. Um, Tommy, I really appreciate you taking time to meet with me and, and sharing your thoughts on this gospel and sharing your thoughts on the dreams for the church. So thank you very much for taking a little time out this evening. Well, thank you for having me, and I really enjoyed it.